0: Hey everybody, Ben Mikulski, the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. As always, we frame this podcast around living your greatest life in a body you love. And training is a big piece of what we do, but understanding a a big picture framework, I think is maybe one of the most useful things we could do as humans to start to give us uh, an idea of where to start, right? I think we're all looking for some blueprint or some framework from which we can make decisions. I think a lot of people mindlessly follow people because They're telling you, hey, this is right and this is wrong. And anyone who tells you something is right and wrong is probably full of, you know what, and ultimately probably don't have the answer themselves, but someone who can give you a framework from which to base your decisions is valuable. And I really believe that success leaves clues. And someone who's successful in multiple endeavors in life, probably has something to teach you. So today's guest, Mark Bell, joins me again as the creator of Super Training, as a creative Slingshot, to share with us his wisdom around success as a powerlifter, success as a bodybuilder, and obviously success now as an entrepreneur. And one of the things that's maybe shouldn't be overlooked, success in his family, success in his relationships. And uh, I think that may be the single hardest thing to do in life, uh, or, or certainly one of them in modern day society, because it's so easy to receive the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, isn't it? And Mark's values uh, are incredibly high, and I respect this guy tremendously – um, we talk a little bit about leadership. We talk a little bit about Mark's stoic approach to life. We talk about his mentors, uh, Louis Simmons, Stan Efforting, two that come to mind that he mentioned that were obviously legends in their own space. It talks about the lessons he's extrapolated from them to apply to his own life, how he leads a team consistently and the strategies he uses to always show up for them. And I love this conversation with Mark. Mark has, as I said, been a guest in the show in the past and, um, always great to talk to. He's always got something of value to say. This this stoic man who um, certainly talks little, and when he speaks, people listen. I really, really appreciate that. Today's podcast is brought to you by Get Health. A previous guest of the show, Dr. Benjamin Bickman, certainly one of the most celebrated guests of the show, um, and everyone loves his his wisdom, has gone out and sought a problem. He said, you know what? There's no great supplement out there that I would actually take if I'm in a hurry. And so being a researcher at Brigham Young University said, I'm going to set out and find the best quality ingredients I can find, formulate something myself and provide it to an audience of people who are in a hurry, want something of high quality that isn't crap and loaded with a bunch of fillers and and artificial ingredients that I can actually feel good about using. So him and his brother teamed up to create Get Health. You you guys can check out the website at G-E-T-H-L-T-H. So we remove vowels. Uh, gethealth.com. And he's going to hook you guys up with 10% off. uh, If you use the code muscle 10 right now, Uh, again, that's going to be limited time uh, because obviously profits are slim in these um, whey protein meal replacement type products. But Dr. Bateman assures you he's done the absolute best to create an incredible product that's loaded with probiotics, vitamins, minerals, high-quality proteins, and carbohydrates at under 4 to four grams, which is pretty awesome. So you're not going to get insulin spike. He's measured that numerous times, and you know he's kind of uh, anti-insulin, we'll say, or maybe not anti-insulin, but sees the negative implications of too many insulin spikes, which seems to be the chronic reality in our society. Uh, and again, you can use the code MUSCLE10 if you go to gethealth.com. And you're given a no questions asked money back guarantee on our request because we want to make sure you guys love it head over and try it. And Dr. Bickman will appreciate it. And if you do, uh, we would appreciate you guys leaving him a review because he wants to hear about your feedback on this stuff and let him know that you came from the muscle intelligence podcast, because we love our community. We are a family and we lift each other up. And Dr. Brickman is part of our family and part of our community. So guys, without further ado, enjoy my podcast with Mark Bell.
1: Yeah. So like in regards to my mother, I appreciate, uh, you know, you and, and so many other people reaching out and sending their condolences and, um, what i find interesting is that uh people project um and i think this is what saddens people what makes people sad is when they project empathy your way uh, because they kind of think about um you know they might think about me what it's like for me to lose my mother because they may have seen her in bigger stronger faster um, or they may have heard my brother uh, talk about my mom or or something to that effect but a lot of times you're also thinking about your own situation and thinking about how tough that would be, or you're relying on something from the past, losing a grandma, grandfather, uh, something like that. But um, what I have recognized is that everyone deals with things differently and that it's my belief. Uh, I also always speak for myself, but it's my belief that we have an opportunity to, um, to feel whatever we want to, whatever we want to feel in certain ways. Um, And I'll I'll explain that sometimes your thoughts and sometimes your feelings um, will get swayed a certain way, trying to stuff down feelings. I'm never trying to necessarily block my feelings, but what I am trying to do is I'm trying to work on reinterpreting what happens to my advantage So, for example, with this situation, with my mom dying um, about a week and a half ago now, um, what I'm working on is trying to celebrate her life more and think about her life more and how she lived and what she lived for and not like, oh, why'd she die? You know, why didn't I get to say goodbye type of thing? Um, I don't really think about that stuff. I just think about how hard she worked to raise us. She had three boys and uh, all of us were, um, you know, into football and pro wrestling and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, being a parent now myself, uh, you know, I think about how difficult that must have been. But I can feel really awesome and feel really happy in knowing that my mom, I don't know how she was able to do it, but she was there all the time for everything. You know, she really was. She was, you know, by our side when we got sick. She was by our side. Uh, When we had our struggles, she was by our side when we did well. She was our biggest cheerleader. She was my biggest fan. Um, Anybody that has followed her or seen some stuff from her, or even seen my own stuff, you'll see comments from her all the time. Like, Oh honey, you're doing so great. Or that's a great picture of you. You look so beautiful. It could be a picture of me, you know, posing in my bodybuilding trunks. And she's like, you have the most pretty eyes or something, you know, <laughs> something like that. And even like on her own Facebook page, she would like promote my products. She'd be like, you got to try my son's products. It you know, helps your shoulder and, and this and that. So I, I'm really, I have cried. I have, um, I, I'm not going to let, these kind of, uh, the way I view some of this is, is it's uh, it's kind of like weathering a storm. And uh, I forget where this came from, uh, but somebody smarter than me will probably pick it up on where it came from. But, you know, when when a rain cloud comes in, you know, you don't wanna just stay inside and try to stay safe from it. You have a choice. I mean, you can stay inside, but you could simply just be prepared for about what's what's happening. And you can get an umbrella and you can wear a raincoat. And that rain will eventually pass. It will eventually come through. And just like our emotions, you let it come through. You allow you allow it to come through. You And you think about it. You think about your thoughts. You think about your feelings. What is making me feel this way? Well, when someone's mom dies or someone's relative dies because of the value assignment that we place to that person or to that particular thing, um, it can sometimes be tragic, um, but also again, people deal with it differently but letting these emotions uh kind of ride through you and not be uh dragged around by them i think is vital it's a vital thing for life and something i've learned through some stoicism it's something i've learned through uh getting some consulting as well but you know when that rain cloud finally does pass why sit around and think about that rain cloud when the sun's out that's kind of that's where i'm at in my life so I have gotten all these messages, and people are like you, it must be going through the hardest time. This must be the most difficult. People say this to me quite a bit too, where they just send me a text and, Hey, man, I know you're super busy, but <laughs> and they're projecting stuff onto me, which isn't true of me. I'm never busy. Um, I don't, I've heard you say this before, and I'm in full agreement. And this is why we're friends, but I, you know, I, I don't believe in anything being hard because I believe that you level up to these things. So um, there's, you can be prepared for life and and you could just understand, look, uh, it sucks, but people are gonna die. You know, every single person that you know will die. They might not die in your lifetime. Maybe you can uh, go through life and not have anybody that you that's real close to you die. That would be amazing. But the likelihood is really low. So why not think about it a little bit and think about, hey, what would it be like if my wife died? What would it be like if if my son died? What would it be like if my daughter died? Horrible things to think about, but they are they're they're it's dying as part of life, right?
0: Yeah, and I think we're gonna die is another thing to acknowledge, right? is is some of us just try to uh, live for today and that's wonderful, but I think living for today becomes so much more powerful when you go, man, I woke up today and, and this heart still beats for me and this brain still works for me these eyes still work for me and Um, There's so many beautiful things that exist just in waking, just in being present, and then learning to embrace the joy that exists in your obstacles, right? You know, if we can learn to smile when we're going through the hardest thing going, well, obviously, there's something I need to learn here. There's uh, so much value to be garnered. And I think everyone in this world today is um, maybe aspiring to be a leader of some kind, right? I think we all aspire for significance, but few people are willing to do the work, and that's what sits People apart, right? Everyone's capable of going to med school. Everyone's capable of, of becoming a hundred million dollar entrepreneur, but the one percent of the one percent actually do, and that's what sets people apart. The people who are willing to sit in their discomfort and explore it, like you're saying, rather than putting a meeting on it and trying to repress it, um, that's a huge lesson to be learned. There, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and again, I also think of like what my mom lived for. You know, my mom literally lived for her children. You know, she she wanted to make sure that we were safe, but she also taught us um, how we could safeguard ourselves against the world, how we can. um, She was a huge believer in us. She she gave us the power of self-belief. And I think one of the reasons why she did that, and if and something I can get really sad about is just thinking that she didn't have that from her parents. And I, that's really unfortunate. And that really sucks. And there's a lot of people uh, that are in that situation. But she told me when I was young, you can do anything, you know, and I'd get frustrated and I, you know, with this or that, and I would say, I can't do that. She would say, no, uh, that's not true. Um, you might be having a tough time with it at the moment, but you can get better at it and it'll become easier at some point. It's like you, you can do it. You can literally do, you know, anything you want. So she, uh, gave me and my brothers the power of self-belief. And I became an entrepreneur. My oldest brother was a professional wrestler and my brother, Chris directs movies. So it's like, uh, we all were, we all were allowed to grow and expand towards anything that we wanted to do. And it didn't have to necessarily do with going to college, having a nine to five, you know, selling insurance or real estate or being a doctor or something like that. It was follow follow what feels good to you, because if you believe in yourself, you can get anything done that you want.
0: So much power in your lessons there, man. I think a lot of us, myself included, had a story around what it looked like um, You know, to not have parents who were there for you. My parents, or at least the story I told myself, um, didn't do the best job with me. We certainly had some obstacles. We certainly had some struggles. But just like you said there, being able to go back and um, Put yourself into their shoes for a moment and go, you know, your mom, you said your mom didn't have that support that she gave you. And, and, you know, my father didn't have any support. So when he showed up for me, I know he showed up with the best he was capable of. You can't ask him for any more. Right. If he did some things that I interpreted as hard or as bad or, or mean or whatever, you know what? He still showed up at his best. And then I learned to empathize with him and go, man, Imagine how much pain he was going through to be able to be that way to me, you know. And, and so you start to learn to forgive and empathize and love and come at this world from a powerful place of lifting others up and going, man, I really empathize with these people rather than having to, um, you know, be angry toward them and, and uh, harbor resentment and hostility. So, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there listening who I'm sure are going through some story in their mind about why they have a hard life. And the reality is it's just a story
1: i love what you're saying there and and the language and uh you know when you came out here to super training um you and i shared some uh stuff back and forth on like hey i listen to this guy hey i read this book hey i listened to this podcast and um it was just amazing how how we stumbled upon a lot of this a lot of similar things mm-hmm. but i love what you said about the story that i tell myself i think that that is really that is really something else because uh what really happened versus our interpretation of it versus your dad's interpretation of it versus, you know, your, your child's interpretation of these different things. I mean, it's, it's also different. Look at what's going on right now with, uh, COVID, you know, the interpretation of that, you know, some people say, okay, well, because we have this, we should follow A, B and C rules. Other people are like, Hey, I think those rules are bullshit. And you have people with massive discrepancies of interpretation. Another great example is, is social media. Some people will use social media to sexualize something. Uh, they, they show their body a lot or they, um, you know, hard, wear hardly any clothes or have shirtless pictures like, like, like myself or something like that. Um, but there's other people that use it strictly more for business or straight up just information. There's some people that use it just to be funny. There's a guy on Instagram that just has a picture of him smiling and it's a picture of him smiling every single day. It's just a big smile and it doesn't say anything. That's great. You know, John Cena's interpretation of IG. I don't know if people follow him, but you should because it's, it's just hilarious. It's totally random. And when you look at his profile, he just says, it, it says that. It says this will always be totally random and there'll never be any captions. And it's just a random picture. Uh, it means something fun and funny to him. So his interpretation is just to kind of like mess around on there. And then he has a different interpretation of Twitter. Twitter, he he shares um, uh, more of like his life philosophies and, and things of that nature. So you can see how diverse uh, our interpretations can be when we start to really uh, look into all these different things that we get into.
0: Yeah. So um, you kind of start going on this path of, you know, the, the commonalities you and I've shared through the years. And. Um, you know, John's uh, philosophies of life. And I'd love to transition that along the, those paths and go, okay, what does it look like for Mark Bell to ascend from aspire, aspiring powerlifter who moves out to train with Louis to, um, you know, meeting and working close, closely with Stan and, uh, and then, you know, creating your own business and becoming an entrepreneur. Um, you know, how much of a role what was... Um, was your family? How much, how much of a role did mentors play and how much of a role did like self-education play? Or was a lot of it just trial and error?
1: Oh man. Uh, You know, so, so much uh, investment in those mentors, you know, Um, I've I've had great uh, mentors. I've been able to kind of uh, lean on some people that have already been to certain places. For me, I've always found that like uh, it's it's interesting because I make products, right? And I've had people copy the products and then I get pissed off about it. But if I think about everything I've ever done in life, it's been a copy of, some, of somebody else. I mean, we, we don't really come up with the ideas that are that original, but what I mean by that is, I'm like, okay, well, Ben's a good bodybuilder. I'm gonna ask Ben bodybuilding questions so I can copy what he did and then maybe after a certain point, I can start to find my own way. But that's mm-hmm. kind of where we start, right? We start with, with uh, kind of a copycat type thing. So mentors, parents, um, they've all been huge. My dad, you know, telling me when I was young uh, that uh, I was probably like 11 or something. And he said, part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. And that has been something that really stuck with me. And as I became a power lifter, it helped me to really keep perspective. Um, I just kept lifting more and more weight. I kept getting stronger. I was super obsessed with it. I went from squatting 800 pounds to squatting 854 pounds and 900 to 970 to 8 to 1,003 to 1,085 or 1,080. Uh, and then ended up falling with like a 1,000, 1,085, but it just never, it never, um, it just didn't have an end, right? I was always... I always wanted to continue to get better. And then, what I was trying to do, but I was not successful in doing, is I was trying to, to make myself better and not compare myself to other people. Because for me, you know, part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. And I, at some point, I finally recognized, oh, I'm not Ed Cohn. Ed Cohn's the greatest power lifter of all time. I'm not this other guy, I'm myself. So let me stay right here. And let me, let me be my, let me try to learn what that even means, but let me work on trying to be myself. And as I got around some like-minded individuals, I got around people that really wanted to level up and get better at stuff like the Louis Simmons and like a Stan efforting, I started to really learn that a lot of this doesn't have that much to do, or there, it has, it has a lot to do with how physical you're going to be when you're trying to be really good at something that's physical. Like there's gonna be some requirements to it, but I learned that the mental side seemed to be the real separator, seemed to be the real thing that really divided people. Louis Simmons is like a mentor, motivator, um, kind of like an evil genius of some sort where he would poke and prod at you and say things in some weird ways where you were like, I mean, he told me that I'd never get on the board at West Side. I'd never be able to knock anybody off of his uh, record board. And I was never able to do it while I was there. But when I left, it's something that continued to drive me. And I was able to beat um, one of the greatest bench pressers of all time, Dave Hoff. I was able to get past him. And then he surpassed me by by quite a bit uh, years later. But, you know, these people, they know how to drive you. They know how to influence you. They know how to impact you. And they know how to get the best out of you. Meeting Stan was a real eye-opener for me because... At that time in my life, I was pre workout, you, know, you know, just consume as much caffeine as possible, crank up some crazy music, and go in the gym and lift like a lunatic. When I met Stan, he just like had it. And he just came in and he just like lifted the weights and beat everybody. And I was so confused. I was like, how do you do that? And then I just realized like, it's like what I was doing was kind of fake you know, the pre-workout, all these different things. Everything was already within inside me. Everything's within you. The answers are within you. You can, you can get yourself up for a workout. You don't have to act like a lunatic. Uh, you don't have to scream. You don't have to yell. You don't have to have music cranking. But if you prefer that and you like some of that mode, that's okay. But when you lean on that too much, it could be a huge mistake. And so as I went through powerlifting and as I started to transition a little bit into uh, some business stuff, having an invention and having a product and stuff that ended up becoming really valuable. Just having this, having this even mind, because if I went into the gym and I had my pre-workout and I had the music cranking and it just wasn't there for the day, I would be extremely disappointed. I'm not sure if you've had these experiences, but well, I've so. cried from workouts before. Yeah. I mean, literally cried, not, not cried because I was in pain cried because I was just so disappointed in myself. I was like, that was worthless. Like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're trying to be one of the best in the world. Like, that just sucked. That was awful. When Stan came through the doors, and I started to see how he was able to manage stuff. I was like, oh, okay, hold on a second. So if I just do the work, if I just train, and I eat and I sleep, and I have this kind of body of work that represents how good I'm going to be, I'm going to be about that good. <laughs> and it it doesn't really have to do with me being mad or or me looking like I'm fired up or me headbutting the bar. It's a skill set. It's a skill acquisition. And if I have the skill, I'll be good enough to do what I'm trying to do. And so that was really valuable to me cuz as I went through business and as I started to learn some things with that, you know, there's a lot of things in business that are real curveballs. Where you're like, oh shit, I wasn't, you, you get a product sampled and you get the product, you check it out. You're like, oh, this is great. And then you're like, let's make 5,000 of these things. You make 5,000 of them and they all suck <laughs> for whatever reason. Something uh, Something got lost in translation or something like that. And you end up with a bunch of shitty product. Well, being mad doesn't help. It doesn't change, you know, being mad or sad. It doesn't help change the fact that you ended up with a bad product. And so I have to kind of look within myself and say, Hey, you know, um, you have a product that you can't sell because it's not the way that you wanted it. Who's, who's at fault here? Who, who's, who's out money? You know, it would be me, right. I'd be out the money and I'd also have to try to figure out what, how, how can I, I gotta be able to communicate better. Like I I must've said something wrong or I must've made a mistake. I must've jumped the gun somewhere. So let me just, shoulder this whole responsibility just like you would with your training and let me take care of this the right way and make sure i'm not trying to cut any corners and make sure i'm not trying to rely on cooking that music up and not relying on the pre-workout to do anything for me it, it's got to be you know i got to shoulder it all myself
0: and yeah, that's great and it's, it's the idea of crossing the t's and dotting the i's right and i'm sure paul can tell you that in many levels and uh, as as a business owner, I get it. Like either you're going to take complete responsibility for your mismanagement or your lack of leadership, you know, or you're going to try to give it to somebody else. And uh, a true leader will step in and say, you know what? Obviously, I didn't do a good enough job explaining myself. Man, I, I've had that more times than I care to share. It's, it's like something doesn't go right, and you're just like. Okay, I see. Like I rushed it, or I, I, you know, tried to do it really fast and, and didn't, wasn't explicit with in my instructions, and certainly took away from the end result. And I think bodybuilding and powerlifting are both a great opportunity to start looking at um, all the details, right? I think that might have been what set me apart in bodybuilding. Is I was the guy who was looking at all the Ts and all the Is and all the Qs and all the Ps, and like I wanted to cross off every box because that was the only way I could compete. And right, and that's what allows me to be successful in business as well is like, I'm looking at the things that nobody else is thinking about, right? And I think there's a lot of value there, especially, I mean, I'm gonna stay on this mentor uh, track, because I think it's valuable. And I want to go back to talk about, you know, Louis, one of these guys who, from the outside, anyways, looks like he's crossing the T's and dotting the I's, and uh, to to an extreme degree. Um, Is that something you feel you learn there? And what are some of the biggest takeaways other than his insidious little remarks to get you motivated? Um, what do you think, what are some of the biggest takeaways you have for working with Louie?
1: Um, number one, you know, he he is just a, he's just an amazing person. He really cares about people a lot. And I don't know if, uh, I don't know if, a lot of people that are close to him know that, but he's, he's very like tender, he's very kind. Um, I mean, he took me to breakfast uh, every day for like a year and paid for it every time. Uh, wouldn't let me pay for it. I had to like trick him, you know, to try to pay for stuff here and there. And he'd be super pissed at me. Um, so he was always like, he was always really kind and he always wanted to spend a lot of time with, with the people that lifted it at the gym. He felt that, uh, I think he felt that having like a family atmosphere in the gym was important, like that you cared about one another, that you hung out outside the gym, at least a little mm-hmm. bit, because I think that you're, you're. You have a tendency to be more involved in someone's workout and to yell, cheer, spot, whatever it might be, assist, criticize uh, the other athletes when you're around them more. You know, when you see them more, you'll be more compassionate for them. And that's like a weird side thing that not not hasn't been talked about much because West Side is this, you know, kind of like has this macho stigma of these like badass lifters, and they are badass lifters, but. These are people that really, truly care about one another and they want to see each other advance. Uh, in the gym, it can get crazy In the gym, it can get kind of you know almost I've seen a couple fights in there and stuff like that. But the main thing with Louie is you know, he's got a free gym. He's trying to have the strongest lifters that anybody's ever seen. um, but he also is not afraid to take time. He's not afraid to take his time with people and I think that that was something uh, that was huge for me to learn. I have people come here from all over the world here at Super Training Gym. And I had a guy come in yesterday and he's telling me about his story. And he starts getting choked up and he starts uh, crying. And I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, Hey, man, you know, this means this stuff means a lot to me too. Like I've I've been where you're at, I've had mentors. Uh, that have like you know made me we made me cry, just like you're crying right now because it just meant so much to me it it helped me get through uh, a lot of life's you know trials and tribulations and stuff like that. and so Louis Simmons is somebody that puts a lot of time into people, and an example of that was I was supposed to go somewhere with him, supposed to go to the Cleveland Browns. Louis sold like ten reverse hyper extension machines to them. It was a big deal at that time because. His machines were kind of all over the place, um, but they weren't in a lot of the NFL uh, facilities just yet. And the Cleveland Browns is one of the big ones. And Louis has been a long time Cleveland Browns fan. And so we we were going to drive up there and I to Louis's house, and Louis got a phone call, and he starts talking to this guy. He talks to this guy for like 45 minutes, and I'm looking at the clock, and I'm like, oh shit, like we're probably going to be late. And he hangs up the phone and I go, Lou, who's that? He's like, I don't have any idea. <laughs> I, you know, I thought it would have been some, you know, it, it was the rock or something. You know, I would have thought that it was like, you know, somebody uh, that, that he was holding, you know, um, that he felt was more important than this business meeting that he had. But uh, he always put other people before his own, you know, before his, his own needs. And I, I thought that was great. And I always found that to be, uh, amazing, and then I try to do the same thing here. My gym is free. A lot of it's modeled after what he was doing, um, not necessarily from the powerlifting perspective, but just spreading the word of strength and spreading the word of uh, of fitness. And I mean, those are some of the main the main things I learned from him. The other side of it is just, just as you know, you know, with with bodybuilding, it just, you know, most people only go to about sixty percent or so. Uh, most of the people that think they're all in and then even once you think that you're all in you're still like kind of far from <laughs> doing just doing everything that you're supposed to do and i you know for me the experience of bodybuilding was really eye opening cuz i was like oh man i'm like holy shit i'm like i wonder what i could have done in powerlifting if i would have done some bodybuilding first because powerlifting doesn't take you to that brink you, you do uh, load up big weights. You do have to figure out a way to overcome the fear of lifting those big weights, but it's very different, you know, just even something like getting on a leg extension or, you know, supersetting uh, like a hack squat with a leg extension or something, or just, you know, trying to not throw up during, during a workout or trying not to fall apart when you start hitting some of your uh, accessory movements uh, after, you, you know, after a really tough leg day. That stuff you can you can and and it teaches you a lot about you know pre workout and firing up yourself with music and because that shit doesn't work in bodybuilding it like literally does nothing no. and you're just up against it and you're like I you're like I am so fucked and you're like I you're like I know before this workout I came in here with the intention I was gonna give it everything I got and now because it's so difficult. It's so challenging. It's different for me. I want to quit. I just want to fucking stop. You know there's not many exercises that do that to me, but bodybuilding got me through a lot of that. i could I could feel it. And when I was powerlifting, I thought I would do some bodybuilding. You know all powerlifters like, oh yeah, I do some bodybuilding. But no, it's not it's like you're not really doing you're not really doing bodybuilding. Like bodybuilding is is bodybuilding is way more intense than it gets credit for. And what it does to your mind, I don't know how to explain it or describe it, but it's almost like, it feels like to me, it feels like my brain gets like branded. Like you get, you get like, like, like uh, you would brand like a bowl or something. It feels like your brain gets like stamped on. And it's like, and the reason why I say it is like, uh, once you break through, you know, you're supposed to do a set of 12 and you're at rep number nine and you're like, you know what? I'm fucking going for 15. Like, I don't care. If I need a little spot, that's fine. I'm going for 15. And you get to 15 and you're like, you know what? Fuck it again. I'm going for 20, you know? And you just, you go for broke and you absolutely demolish yourself. It feels like you're now like brand certified to be a badass and to continue to break past that spot that you usually got stuck at. Normally, every time in any other place in your life, if you pushed yourself, you probably made it started to make excuses and when you're doing like a leg workout it's really easy to say oh my knee or "I had a tough week of training like I'm pretty banged up my elbow hurts or this hurts that hurts it's really easy to start fall into to those excuses but what I'm trying to share with people is you can get the fuck it's in either direction you can say oh fuck it man I you know I had a cheeseburger this morning so I'm gonna have some ice cream tonight you could say, fuck it. I'm going to, uh, you know, the workout started out kind of shitty. So I'm just going to do like some lateral raises and leave, (laughs) you know, or you can get the fuck it's in the other direction where you say, you know what? Fuck it, man. I'm going all in. You have never done this before. See what happens, see what reward you get, see how it feels. And once you get to that other side, which is really hard for me to describe, but once you get to that other side, you're going to want to get there a lot because it feels so good. It's hard to put into words. And I'd never reached your level of bodybuilding, so I don't know what a lot of that is like. But I would say that it's probably similar within my own body and within my own mind, even though I wasn't able to get 32 inch thighs or however damn big your your legs are. And so that's that's actually really interesting, right? Like somebody who's 150 pounds, who's really hasn't done much training, as long as they kind of know how to contract their muscles a little bit, maybe they've trained for two or three years, they can have the same mental experience in some degree, maybe not as intense all the time as Ben Pakulski in the middle of his bodybuilding career. That fucking blows my mind that people have an opportunity to go through that kind of work. Uh, it's interesting. Every- I don't know if they can.
0: I don't. honestly don't know if they can. I don't think it's the same level of amplification. I get like relative to what they're physically capable of, but like I can't experience what it feels like to have a thousand pounds on my back. Even if like 600 is my max, it's not the same. Yeah. It's, a, it's a new level of experience. And I don't say that to diminish anybody's efforts, but um, you know, like when you really start to understand what you're capable of, I call, I look at it like doorwaves, Mark. I'm like, Well, you went through door number one, and then you went through door number two, and then you went through number three. But some people out there went through door number 74, right? Like, if you're a Navy SEAL, and that's why I always said, like, I've never worked hard in my life. Like, I don't know what hard work is. Like, I'm a a pussy compared to those guys, right? Like, the workouts I've done would would crush everyone. But compared to someone out there, I'm I'm nothing. And that was always my perspective from the beginning is – you know, hard work is relative. And you get all these people saying on social media, hey, I worked really hard today, I think that's awesome, and they did. But as soon as I say, oh, I worked hard today, does it stop your brain from going, but what's next, right? When you start to access those new levels, those new doorways of possibility, that's when things start to get fun. And that's what you're saying, it's like, you're like, holy shit, I surprised myself. And I still joke about it now, right? It's it's that idea of having a gear that nobody else has and that gear that nobody else has ever seen. And, and when you decide to access it, you're like, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Here we go. Right. And
1: yeah, I, I really like what you're saying right there. And that actually makes a lot of sense. And I think we're actually agreeing a little bit more than we're disagreeing. But I it's almost like as if you have you've opened up the ability to go through these other doors, yeah. whereas maybe somebody who's newer, you know, they're going through door number one, two, three, four and five. And there's some some similarities, but it's quite a bit different. It's hard to actually relate. Uh, I remember Louis Simmons uh, saying, um, "Strength is relative, yeah. and you're not related to it." <laughs> you know, as kind of a joke. Right. But you kind of get the idea that 600 pounds isn't the same as thousand pounds. Right. Uh, but in some ways, it is because it's your physical. It's you over, It's you overcoming. It's you overcoming a physical a physical feat of strength right but it's also that mental side
0: right and so my brain goes to Goggins like
1: yeah right he's
0: doing things that we wouldn't ever dream of and like he is he pushing his physical limits probably but and so are we but we're still not there right there's still so many more levels like of of suffer that exist within what we're capable of man I think that's such an interesting and I mean for me anyways like I love the idea of exploring those things where you're like hold on tight. I'm not sure how this is going to go, but let's keep going. Um, and it's so inspirational to me. And I think everyone um, who gets to open at least one doorway uh, gets to experience that dopamine. And then it's, it's the, it's the leaving the, the breadcrumbs, right? It's like leading you down the path of the next one. And, and I think it's right. such an interesting part of why people become addicted to athletics. Yeah.
1: I particularly bodybuilding. In in your bodybuilding career, did you end up using like a lot of reps? Because I'm actually, I mean, I don't have any plans on like doing another show or anything at the moment. I, I'm just, I'm literally doing it for fun and I'm having, I'm having an amazing time with it. Um, but did you utilize a lot of reps? I'm finding myself sometimes just using an insane amount of reps. Like I'll do, I don't know, 60, 70 reps sometimes in a set because it could be, I could be doing a drop set or I could be going from like one machine to another superset or something like that. Well, yes
0: and no. Right. So the way I frame it or framed it was if I feel like I'm really, really, you'll get this from a powerlifting perspective. If I feel like an exercise is really stable, then I can load it maximally. And as soon as I start to feel that stability be compromised a little bit, then the reps started to go up because I, I have this belief that higher repetitions is going to, solidify stability a little bit deeper, you know, the, working the slow twitch muscle fibers tend to be correlated with stability. So I would I would do, the answer is I would do both, right? And I found I got tremendous amounts of growth doing really high reps. I mean, I would be known for doing 100 rep sets, but it was never with one weight, right? It would be like, hey, let's put 12 plates aside in a leg press, do 20 reps, take two plates off, do, te- do 20 reps, take two plates off, do 20 reps. You know, and I fought with people on this because like, let's just pick a weight and do 70. I was like, why? Like he just wasted the first 40. Like I want all, all of them to be that punishing. Right. Um, so the answer is yes, I did do a lot of of heavy of high reps, but also you'll get like at some point it gets to the point where uh, you're using the whole stack. So you kind of got to do high, uh, high reps. Right. No choice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, it's it's interesting because a lot of times you hear, you know, three or four sets, 10 to 12 reps and it's like. I I do that sometimes, you know, and it it could be like, I don't know, incline dumbbell bench. I want to handle something pretty good. So I'll keep the rep range uh, fairly normal. But even with that, sometimes it's still a drop set. And then to be able to do continuous sets, to be able to do multiple sets like that can be really challenging. And then therefore it kind of limits the amount of weight you can use. And it kind of ends up pushing you towards higher reps. I've not really heard a lot of people talk that much about, you know, doing like more than like 40 reps or something like, or even more than 20, really, you always kind of hear 20. But if you're thinking about doing a triple job, drop set or, you know, four four drop sets and you're doing 25 reps a chunk, 100 reps set, that is, that's awesome. That's on the menu today. I'm putting it on the menu today. Man, you
0: know where that came from? You laugh. I think the hardest training partner I've ever had in my life was a female. And if you laugh, she's incredible. A retired pro bodybuilder. And she was the first one, I was early in my career. I think I just, before I got my pro card and uh, we do legs together and everything she did was sets of 20. She goes, man, this is how you're going to get dense. And I was like, okay. So she would, she would uh, time the rest periods and everything would be set to 20. And uh, it was, it was torture because I'd never done it before, but then I just like my legs just responded like crazy. So I was like, okay, well, this is it. And I hated it at the beginning. And then you start seeing the results. You're like, okay, this is it. And, and to be honest, every bodybuilder I work with now, I have them work towards sets of 20. Um. So once we, you know, learn some execution, then everything progresses, like, get to 20s and let's see what happens to your legs, right? And then you can obviously ascend back down and back up. But um, it's always an aspiration to get guys doing sets of 20 with meticulous form.
1: Yeah, you're so, big to really locking it in. I mean, I've seen your squat and stuff like that before, and then you took me through some exercises here. Would you use both? I know this is uh, your podcast, and I'm asking you questions, but I'm obsessed with this stuff. I love it. But um, would you utilize both techniques? Where maybe on a back movement, you would throw a little body English in it, or do you, you know, prefer to only go like strict? Um, so, man, I, I've, I've been
0: exploring this at length for the last ten years, and where's the utility of doing cheat reps? And I'll tell you where cheat reps kind of get their 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 root is, um, especially with back exercises. If you understand a resistance profile, right, the way the resistance and parts force against your body. So uh, at certain parts of the range, it's it's hard. At certain parts of the range, it's easy. So every back exercise, uh, every free weight, every pull up, all, everything that is conventionally called the mass builder for back has an inverse resistance profile, meaning it's the opposite of what it should be. So it's heavy where you're weak and light where you're strong. So by necessity, it forces you to cheat because if I pick a weight that I can do in the, we're in the position where I'm strong and it's heavy, by the time I get to the position where I'm weak, I literally can't do it. So I'm forced to throw it, right? So um, the answer is the, the real path to improving it is getting a better resistance profile, which doesn't happen with barbells, dumbbells, or pull-ups. So with back specifically, you need to use machines. And that's why like finding a well-designed machine is imperative for back training. Um, but to answer the question more specifically, um, I, I'm more of an advocate of decreasing the size of the range of motion and uh, extending the set in that fashion. So if I can't do like you're doing a, a dumbbell press, if I can't get all the way to the top, well, that doesn't mean the set's over, that just means I can't get all the way to the top. So what if I can get at another 15 or 20 reps in you know a six inch range, a five inch range, a four inch range, a three inch range, a two inch range, one inch range, and I'm getting time under tension on that muscle exponentially extended without using other muscles to cheat, right? And that's usually the way people cheat is they cheat by either bringing it in close to their body. So they decrease the distance or they launch it, which doesn't help anybody, right? So I don't believe launching is is useful, except in powerlifting, right? So the context I I say is challenge a muscle, don't complete a rep, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm really trying to grow my back and it's been Interesting. Cause I just, I've never really cared about like, you know, particularly growing like a muscle. I mean, I have, you know, worked on building up the chest over the years a little bit, just to shorten that range of motion on bench have worked on like kind of thickening up my body sure. um, but In powerlifting. You kind of just do that by getting like big and fat, like you right. gain muscle and you gain sure. uh, body fat. So a lot of that kind of uh, takes care of itself. So really trying to build up the back and the get- upper back mark. Uh, yeah, more like the lats, like down, you know, down, down low. Um, I'm kind of I'm i a little square. I'm like a SpongeBob SquarePants over here because of the uh, all the powerlifting. And so I got kind of like big oblique, So I'm trying to get the lats to really uh, fill in and come out.
0: And, you know, that was a huge obstacle of mine during my career. So it's something like my brain works in, in such a way that if I'm not good at something, I make sure that I pursue it until I've mastered it. Right. So. The thing that I found with back training is nobody actually got it. Like I've, I've, I've looked at, I mean, I'm a believer that success leaves clues. So you look at guys who have amazing backs and you go, oh, there's something there. So you look at mechanics, there's obviously a mechanical advantage for these people. But if you look at like how to maintain tension on a lat, similar to how you would maintain tension on a chest, right? So if you look at those things as being kind of opposites, So with the chest, if you're trying to build your chest, typically the the path is what? Keeping your shoulders back a little bit longer, like really lengthening the the pack if if we're laying on our back in this kind of vertical plane. Well, it's actually the opposite for lat. And this is what people don't do, right? If you're trying to train your lat, you want to stay protracted. So you want to stay keeping your shoulder forward as long as you can while going Mm -hmm. through extension. And I think a lot of people, when they initiate a back movement, initiate with retraction, right? The first movement is pulling their shoulders back, which literally mechanically makes the lat less able to work. So you end up turning into a, an elbow flexor, rear delt, and a trap exercise rather than a lat exercise. So maintaining uh, protraction, which is dependent on the serratus, moving in like kind of this plane, so I'm protracting my shoulder toward you, and I'm thinking about driving the elbow down is going to be the best way to work your lat. I've never heard anybody talk about that. But if you, if you just feel it one time, you'd be like, why has not anybody talking me this? But I will yes. say, it's depending really- on your serratus. It's dependent on your serratus, and most bodybuilders have very, very underactive serratus um, because we spend so much time bench pressing, keeping our shoulders back and down, which is a rhomboid activity, right, trap and rhomboid, and those are the opposite muscles. So the more I shorten my rhomboid and mid-trap, the more I'm lengthening and kind of relaxing my serratus. So if I can activate my serratus uh, into this protraction plane, my lats will grow um, kind of as a result of that because you're improving the stability of the shoulder girdle. I don't know if that's too complex for people on a podcast, but uh, again, you know, hopefully that's, um, that makes sense in your mind.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Cool. Let's not get off track here. You're not turning this into your podcast. Let's um, let's talk about stoicism and you and I, you sent me a, a post recently that I loved and I thought it would be a great thing for us to connect on. You've been, you've been looking into stoicism lately, you've been studying it and you have some really unique insights that I think are worth sharing.
1: You going to pull it up for us? Um, I don't know if I have, I don't know if I have that. I'm not sure. So where,
0: where did your, your interest in Stoicism begin?
1: Um, I, uh, I've been, uh, looking at it for quite some time. Um, Tim Ferriss, uh, probably turned me on to it. I've, I've known Tim for a few years. Um, he actually came to super training gym years ago and, and, uh, I took him through like a workout, and I was showing him like some powerlifting stuff. And he he stayed in the area for a few days, and uh, we got an opportunity to hang out. And uh, I was telling my friend Jesse Burdick about, I'm like, oh, this guy came to the gym. He wanted me to show him a bunch of stuff, and and he's like, oh, that's cool. And and I and I mentioned, I was like, oh, it's this guy Tim. I was like, he said he's writing a book. And he's like, is that a? He goes, is that Tim Ferris. He's like, is that the four hour work week guy? I'm like. I'm like, I don't know what his last, I'm not sure what his last name is. I don't know. So I didn't, I didn't even know, I didn't even know who he was, but Tim, Tim and I got in some, uh, good conversation and I mean, this is you know pretty long time ago and he was already, you know, kind of studying a, a lot of this, a lot of the stoic uh, philosophy, but I started looking into it deeper. Like when he came around, I, I looked at it a little bit and I was like, Oh, a lot of this is really cool. Um, but at the time, you know, I was in the middle of my powerlifting career, and I'm in the middle of uh, building a business, and I just didn't even realize like what I stumbled upon. I didn't realize how powerful or impactful it would be. Yeah. And as I got a little older, and as I matured a little bit more, I was like, you know what? I need to go back and look at some of that stuff. And um, because you just start to learn after a while, you're like, ah, oh, it's not really, it's not really so much about, you know, what I'm what I'm doing necessarily, because we can apply universal law to anything that anyone does. And so that's when I, that's what really stirred me is I was like, let me me look into this more because this could help with all aspects of my life. As you know, like when you're in the gym, we're spending tremendous amounts of time there and we're not always getting the most value out of it because we're not always really thinking about it. We're not thinking about all the lessons that we learn from it. So Mm -hmm. having gone through, you know, studying some stoicism, it really opened up my eyes on what was going on inside the gym all these years and how the gym was, molding me and helping me to believe in myself. I mentioned earlier, you know, my mother, you know, really put in a lot of faith in us as well, but you don't get belief in yourself from your mom. I and mean, you don't get it from your dad. You don't get it from anyone else. You get it from yourself. You need self-belief. It's huge. If you don't do anything, you can't believe in yourself. And so uh, that's what made me really interested in stoicism. As I started looking at it more, it was like, oh, if I can use some of these principles I can continue to feel better about the direction that I'm going in and also things that are coming at me, whether it be social media or negativity from some different way. I, I have an opportunity to reinterpret all this stuff. It, I, the input doesn't have to equal the output. Um, and I've never been somebody that has been real uh, emotional or um, real over the top, you know, or, or, or aggressive or anything like that anyway. Uh, I might just appear that way on a couple of like heavy lifts or something like that, just cause I'm concentrating, I guess. But yeah, I just, I, I kind of fell in love with it and started looking into it more. And one thing that I think is so, kind of misunderstood sometimes about stoicism, because there's so many quotes from so many different great people. And I'm sure those quotes are, are kind of messed up or misconstrued or misinterpreted as well. And maybe not even in their original form anymore. Um, But I think some people think it's like that you're trying to, you know, block yourself from having emotions that you're trying to, you know, turn yourself into a robot. And I've had a lot of people ask me about that. I've had people ask me like, is that what you want to do? Like you want to become like inhuman? And it's like, no, 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 that's not, I'm not someone trying to do it all. I just, you know, what I'll ask them is, Hey, like when this happens to you, Like when you get anxiety or you get nervous about something, or let's just say you get super sad, like, do you enjoy that? And the answer is usually no, like, no, I don't really enjoy it. Well, you can work on having that impact you less and maybe it doesn't impact Maybe it's not like not at all. It doesn't bother you at all, but some things won't bother you at all anymore. Um, But what if you could just alter how they impact you or how much they impact you? Once you recognize that you place zero value assignment on somebody making a negative comment to you on Instagram, or once you understand why a negative comment on Instagram could have ever hurt you in the first place, you got some really good armor to go out there in the world and kick some ass because you're not getting slowed down by anybody or anything, you have a better understanding. You're like, oh, okay, you, you might even not make posts because it might open you up to something where you're like I just don't want to be part of that anymore. I'm just not going to make this Trump post because I don't want to be part of that anymore. I'm not going to share a political view or I'm not going to share my family or whatever it might be. But on the flip side of that, the really amazing thing about stoicism is the more that you lean into it, the more that you can handle. So you're not trying to like block emotion And you're also not trying to just not get involved in anything that might make you feel any certain way. There's literally no limit to how much stuff you can do in a given day and how much stuff uh, that can can come at us. We don't know what that amount is. We don't know what that number is. A a lot of stoicism, a, a lot of what I've noticed from it personally is it has allowed me to take on more, but feel like there's a lot less in front of me. I don't feel like my plate is full I don't feel like I'm spinning multiple plates I feel like I'm in the present moment I'm I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing when I'm supposed to be doing it for the most part and I I'm not thinking about the other plate that's spinning that's in the other room that I'm not quite sure what room it's in because there's another plate spinning somewhere else <laughs> you know I'm, I'm focusing on what I'm trying to do at the moment and that's why I said earlier that I'm never busy and stoicism kind of got me there
0: so what was the catalyst for you exploring that because i think a lot of people um, typically experience pain, and they're like you know what i I don't want to experience this pain anymore and they start looking for a solution uh, and then someone comes along and says hey you realize you don't need to feel that anymore because it's just your perception but other than your conversation with tim um, what do you attribute to kind of being the catalyst for you exploring that
1: the major catalyst was going to trade shows and communicating with friends in the fitness industry that we're doing really well on social media and that we're doing really well in business. Uh, but we're just not happy. You know, they just, they, 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 the word happy is a weird one, but like, they just struggled, I guess, being, um, satisfied, being fulfilled, maybe it's a better term. Um, and I looked at that and I was like, Oh man, I'm like, you know, I'm like, I feel that sometimes I was like, but it doesn't bother me that much. But I'm like, whatever that, whatever some of that is, I was like, I don't want any part of that. And so I was just, I was fortunate enough to try to learn about it before there really was an issue. You know, um, it, it could be, you know, it could be um, if somebody has a training partner and the training partner tears a pec on a bench press. And then you're like, okay, well, shit, whatever happened to him, like, I don't want that to happen to me. So I'm going to work my rotator cuff or whatever it is that you would do to safeguard yourself away from some of those things. So that's what I saw happening to a lot of friends. They were really unhappy, um, depressed. Uh, Some of them were on drugs to help, to help with the depression and stuff like that. And I was like, there's gotta be, you know, there's gotta be a better way. And I learned so much of it from YouTube. Um, I'm not a reader. Uh, I've read about half a book in my lifetime, so I'm still working on that. I'm getting better at reading. I'll, I'll read more now. I'll read parts of books. Uh, my attention span isn't great, so it's something I have to continue to work on. But I got a lot of information from YouTube. If you were to mention someone's name to me, if you're like, hey, go get so-and-so's book, uh, I would YouTube it right away, and I would find a couple videos on it. I'd study the guy, and I would journal. I would write it down. I think that writing it down uh, is really important because, I mean, it's like being a student. You know, that's, that's the way I look at it. I, my education uh, started when I was about 30 years old or 32 years old. Um, it didn't start when I went to school because I just, school wasn't for me. It just, it, it didn't vibe well with me. It didn't work well with me. And the story I told myself was that I was dumb. And so it was very hard for me to really figure it out and uh, gain the traction that I needed to. I do think school has a lot of value for a lot of individuals. I also don't think it's great for a lot of other people as well, but yeah, my education started much later in life, and I just started to self-educate myself.
0: How did you go from a guy who self-identified as dumb to now running a multi-million-dollar business?
1: Um, I, you know, fortunately, I've always been, um, well, what I, what, in my opinion, I've always been fairly clever. Uh, I, I've I've had. I th- I think because I had such a hard time with school that I would think unconventionally. Like it it kind of forced me to think that way. I uh, yeah. I mean, just weird examples. Like I, I I really struggle with math, but then when it comes to like simple math, I I'll do great. Or if someone what is to say, I and I have like I guess um, I have decent intuition. I can kind of like add shit up. In my own head pretty good so I, I have an idea it's not like i'm totally off but if someone was like hey guess how many of this product how much you know how much profit this particular product make i i can guess without really knowing much about the actual price point and a lot of that stuff it's just i you know i just i have a little bit of that i think it's from my dad my dad is my dad is uh into finances and real estate and taxes and stuff like that so i think i might have gotten a little bit of that just from of being around him uh, quite a bit but yeah i think uh unconventional thought and now you know years later you know i'm kind of recognizing that um you know i'm trying to uh like i don't know I just try to think of things rationally trying to think and, and when you think of things rationally you don't necessarily have to be smart because i think a lot of people that are really smart I think they get towed around by their emotions a lot of times. And so if you can kind of see things more clearly, you don't have to necessarily be like really book smart or have this insane IQ to be able to make the correct decisions. Uh, I'm also somebody who's not afraid to make a decision. So I'm not afraid to just be like, yep, let's do that. Um, A lot of times when I have been told about books um, and this might sound very egotistical, um a lot of times the things in the books i'm like this is awesome like i'm doing that already that's really cool sometimes it might highlight something that i could do better but a lot of times i'm like "Oh, those top three things are just listed like i just i i fell into them in uh in some weird way and i think it has to do with because i had to have unconventional thoughts i was limited i remember uh telling somebody else i'm like uh you know yeah i kind of just said it kind of kidding around I said, you tried becoming a millionaire and not being able to read like it's fucking hard. (laughs) This is a challenge. It's a challenge, but I think it's, I think it's ultimately what helped me the most. What also helped me a lot was just that I was really slow. And if you go back to what I said earlier, um, my, my learning was slow. My learning process was slow and that being slow like that really helped a lot with being patient later on. And as you know, in business, uh, being patient with stuff can be really, really, uh, it can be massively important sometimes to, and even with creation, when you create stuff, it takes a long time for something to manifest and for something to turn great. Um, I had the idea for the slingshot for a long time, but it wasn't until it you know, completely burned a hole in my brain <laughs> that I actually invented it because it's something I started to think about more and more. And I'm like, how do I make that product? And I got some resistance. I got told the product was dumb a couple of times and I was like, yeah, maybe they're right. I'm kind of dumb. I got a dumb product. It adds up. <laughs> that makes sense. And so I, I, I did stop. I did give up on it a couple times, but then it would come back and then it would come back and then it would come back. And every time it came back, every time the idea came back into my head, it would come back a little stronger and it'd come back a little bit more powerful. I was like, that's how I can make it. Okay. Let me try this. Let me try that. I tried a bunch of different stuff. And uh, at some point was finally able to make it work. And I was like, this is not dumb. I was like, this is this is going to be something that can really impact fitness and it can impact a lot of people's lives. And uh, I just, from there, just kind of had the intuition to know that that was going to be a good idea.
0: You and I are truly kindred souls, man. I, when I was a kid, I identified as being dumb. I was told I was dumb. And uh, what I realized is, one, I ate like shit as a kid, didn't sleep very well. My brain was probably always inflamed. Um, so what it forced me to do was be really good at thinking. I couldn't remember anything; like I would forget what day of the week it was, right? Um, but I became really good at thinking. So much so that in tenth and eleventh grade, I got kicked out because I was end up teaching the class other ways of doing math problems that didn't suit the, the <laughs> teacher's way. And he goes, "Well, it's not logical. I like, got it's reproducible. That makes it logical, right?" And I got kicked out of math class. Because I was thinking differently, and that was maybe what gave me an advantage in life. Is literally, it's, it's ironic, and I hope there's somebody out there listening who can who can benefit from this. Is I thought I was dumb because I, I couldn't remember anything. I was like, man, I just must be dumb. And then you realize there's seven different types of intelligence that they identify, right? So you and I are probably good at half of them, and the other half we just didn't we didn't practice as children, or we didn't prioritize it or value it as children. Hey, man, it, it, it ends up being your greatest blessing in in uh, adult life, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, and also as a kid, um my in my family, we we were very family oriented and we're very um uh like we we're very free. Um when I would go to my grandparents' house when I was a kid, uh my my dad, uh my dad's side of the family had nine children. All those children had children as well. And so it would be a madhouse. It would just be like there'd be everybody everywhere. Kids playing wiffle ball, kids playing football, kids you know, throwing around a baseball or whatever. And, uh, and then there'd be a lot of the adults in inside the house, but you were kind of free to do whatever you wanted and whatever you wanted to do, shoot some hoops or whatever. There would be someone right there that would want to like, you know, do it with you, whether it was my cousins or, 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 uh, my uncles or something like that. All these people were always around. And so, um, there wasn't like a, no one was like, Hey, you know what? You better do really good in school because this is, this is the most important thing. This is the shit that matters. That was never, I, no one ever mentioned anything like that to me. And I'm glad that they didn't because, um, you know, that just showed me the value of family and being around each other. And having that freedom to be creative i mean there was always somebody doing something pretty dangerous too like because a lot of times the adults <laughs> would be inside the house somebody would have like a sledgehammer for some reason Someone <laughs> else would be walking around with a screwdriver and a hammer or whatever and like I, you know what the hell's gonna happen like only bad things are gonna happen but it allowed us to be ourselves and to play and to wrestle and to fight and to make each other cry and if you went inside the house crying which was always me because i was the youngest in the entire family for like 10 years. So I always got my ass kicked. If you went inside, you know, you ran inside the house and cried, no one cared. Like no one was like, Oh, we're so sorry. You know, it's a, Hey, get the hell back outside and, you know, get out there and, you know, and they're like, Oh, so-and-so stole my baseball bat. It. It's like, well, grab a basketball, you know, go find a solution. Like crying's not going to help, you know, get, get back out there and play type of thing. So I think a lot of that played into it too. A lot of that, uh, played into just understanding that, um, you know, being around other people that love you and that care about you, that's some of the most valuable stuff in life and not necessarily, my, my son figured this out really early. I think he was probably, I don't know, eight or nine. He figured out the school, <laughs> unfortunately, he figured it out way too early. He figured out that school doesn't matter. And so he, he just doesn't like to apply himself in school. And so we actually um, more recently are transferring him over to a school called Acton Academy and Acton Academy has unconventional thinking. And I think it's gonna be, uh, I really actually believe it's gonna be something that helps change his life. He, he has a good life, he's doing well in a lot of the things that he likes to do. Um, but they really lean into the things that you like to do, the things that you prefer to do. Uh, and they also teach you about like, um, you know, becoming, uh, uh, I guess like learning about finances and, and things of that nature. So I'm super excited for him for that because he's been an unconventional thinker Pretty much since day one.
0: <laughs> yeah, how old is he?
1: He's 16.
0: Oh, man, that's great. And, and w- I'm sure you wish you had that at 16. And I know I wish I had that. I started homeschooling my kids at four and five. And you realize, man, like they're so different. They learn in such different ways. And to put them into one box where you learn in the same way is ludicrous. So, yeah, yeah they, they, you, know, my, you know, my son, his ability to do math is exceptional. And my daughter can't do math at all. But she reads and writes like a whiz. And like, how do we put these both into the same box with the same expectations, it just doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, so, and you also for your daughter, you just want her to like not get taken advantage of because she doesn't know certain things or whatever sure. when it comes to math, right? It's like that's really all you need, which isn't that much, you know. You know, you just need to know some like basics, you know, so people don't screw you over and you go to get your car fixed or whatever. Um, but. I think that we try to place such a high value assignment on these things because that's what society kind of teaches us. And that's the way the school systems are set up. Um, I actually think that right now, I think it's a big issue with the country is, you know, it doesn't really matter who it doesn't matter who the next president's going to be like, it's, it's almost completely irrelevant in a lot of ways because people are still going to make the same shitty decisions they made yesterday. They're still going to eat the wrong foods. They're still going to, uh, put netflix over sleep they're still gonna watch too much pornography they're still gonna like we're all guilty of all these things i know that i know some of these things because i engage in some of this stuff um but you know i think that people are going to kind of continue to make bad decisions but i also think until someone starts to really investigate our education system i think that this country um could potentially be in a lot of trouble and it's not it's a place where no one's really looking I know that some people talk about it. I know guys like you talk about I talk about it, but it's not really being looked at by the government like yeah. that's a place they want to look because they make a lot of money off the way things are set up now.
0: Yeah, and ultimately they don't want people to be independent thinkers right like it's kind of the opposite of what we want. You know, we, want <laughs> right. we, we need people to work in, in basic jobs. Right. Everyone's an independent thinker. Now we have a bunch of leaders. Now the government's being overthrown because people are smarter than they need to be, or they should be. Right. And that's, <laughs> right. that's the reality. There's a guy named John Taylor Gatto, who's, um, he's an author. He's written some amazing books on, uh, on education. I'll look him up on YouTube. He's probably, I mean, got some of the most forward thinking concepts and, you know, ironically he was the voted teacher of the year. in I forget if it was like New Jersey or something like that. And because he basically let kids do, what they chose and everyone just loved him and he changed the the curriculum in his city and then he recently passed away. So, you know, we're losing these people who are ultimately there's a lot of really cool people out there who are thinking differently, man. And I think it's uh, incredibly powerful to empower kids with the ability to think for themselves. You know, I kind of came to this realization that if my kids turn 18 today, you know, I said, what would I want them to be able to do? Or what what would, what would be most important? And for me, I want you to be a great human being who treats others well, who cares and loves about yourself, and you're curious about what you're curious about. Like, I love the idea of like, just like you, man, I didn't start learning anything in life until I was 30. So <laughs> when you start finding out what you really love, and you have a um, childlike wonderment, you have a childlike curiosity, That's what pushes you down the path of of studying with persistence and passion that is ultimately going to teach you a lot more than 20 years of jamming BS down your throat. Right. So my my objective is to not beat the education out of them and hopefully make them love something by the time they're 18 years old. That's my goal.
1: So we had a guy on the podcast recently, um, this guy named Matt and um, Matt came on. Matt came over to super training and he checked it out and stuff. We had good conversation. And it turns out that he runs uh, a, this Acton Academy school out here. And so we got talking and I was like, wow, that sounds fascinating. We, we had him on the podcast. He's been a fan for a while. And so that's how the whole thing happened with getting my son Jake uh, into that school. But, you know, I, I talked to Jake about it and he was he was pretty resistant to it. He's like, oh, that seems weird. Like, I want to get back with my friends. I'm like, well, you don't have school now at the moment anyway, right? So I said, I think this is a really good opportunity I kind of left it at that. We talked about it some more back and forth here and there. And then I basically just told him, I said, listen, here's the deal. I said, this is, I said, this came out of nowhere. I'm like, I, I didn't pursue this guy. So this guy, Matt, he came to the gym. We started talking. He happened to run this school. I don't know why he came around at this time because he's been in the area for years. We've been in the area for years, but he decided to come in, you know, and he he wanted to check out the gym. He wanted to, you know, see what the place was about. And I'm like, this kind of fell into our lap for a particular reason. So I'm like, I don't ever force you to do anything. But I was like, I'm not leaving this room until you agree to go to at least two days of the school, <laughs> you know, And because he was like, oh, I don't really know, you know. And I just said, I'm like, dude, just agree to go. OK, you know, so we're going back and forth and he's kind of like halfway laughing and stuff. And he's like, all right. He's like, I'll check it out. I was like, if you think it's cool and it's cool. Then we can continue forward. If you don't like it, then you can go back to uh distance learning and not really learning anything and sitting around playing video games. <laughs> and so he was like, okay, so he went, he checked it out and he had a good time. We talked about it a bunch more and I kept kind of mentioning it to him. I said, you know, these things that pop up, they don't happen for no reason. Um, he has a guitar. His grandmother gave him a guitar a while back. Jake had no interest in, in music and no interest in, not that I know, not that I know of, um, of playing an instrument, but my uh, mother-in-law, she had like an extra guitar. She thought it'd be cool to give it to Jake. It sat in his room for a long time. He never touched it. One day he picked it up and started messing around with it. A couple days later, he looks up stuff on YouTube. All of a sudden, he's very interested in it now. And the second that he gets home from doing something else or any chance he gets, he's playing that guitar or he's looking up, how to do a new, you know, do a new song off YouTube. And I'm like, Hey, can you do this song? Can you do that song? Like I'll, I'll give like requests and he'll start jamming on the guitar. And, uh, this is just an acoustic guitar. Now we're talking about potentially getting him, uh, like an electric guitar, but back to your point, uh, interest is so huge. What you're interested in. I think people are, they really, they really fight themselves. Like, I, you know, I really want to lose a lot of weight. Well, if you want to lose a lot of weight, then you're going to have to be interested in it. And if you really struggle with your diet and have a hard time losing weight, it just means you're not interested enough to take care of that at the moment. And maybe you haven't stumbled upon the correct diet yet because you haven't been interested enough to continue to investigate, to continue to learn, to, to, to finally end up in the right spot with it. And so I, I, I love what you said there. And I think that's massively important. And that's what this school is about is, it's going to, okay, Say it's going to say, Jake, okay, you like music? Okay, you like to write scripts? He's into movies and stuff like that. He's it, not only going to do that. He's still going to learn other stuff that he needs to learn from school. Uh, but that's going to be the centerpiece, and they're going to work everything else around that. Very cool.
0: So, like, last, last question, man. How do you balance making sure your kids are – working towards something with not putting any expectations on them. It sounds like you're just like, Hey, you get to do what you want. Does that sound about like your parenting or does your wife balance you out and say, Hey, you, know, you kind of got to pull up your socks and do some shit. I think, you know, I think historically human nature would be, you can kind of do what you want and and life will push you where you need to go. But I think it's just too easy right now to be manipulated by media and video games and food and hyper palatable foods Like, you know, we talk about intuitive eating. I don't think intuitive eating can possibly exist anymore because it's just high level manipulation of your palate. Your brain is being, it's like drugs, right? So how how do you, and did you when they were younger and maybe not now, like how much influence do you have over what your kids eat and what they do? And if if they, you know, stick to something versus quit? because I think every parent out there is like, I know I am like, always fighting the battle with myself of like, I want them to be independent, but at the same time, I know independence means they're going to choose all these, these things that are probably in some way destructive.
1: You're bringing up an awesome talk topic. And I think if you don't already ask that question of every guest that you have that has kids, uh, then you probably should because people need to examine this part a lot. It's important to force your kids to do shit every once in a while. I think, I think it really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going to feel good to you. Um, and it's not going to feel great for them but if you're going based off of your history you're going based off of your own judgment and maybe you don't have previous experience parenting because you know maybe you're talking to your oldest child um and you don't have previous experience with that particular thing that they're going through uh but the real the real truth of it is is that You're both going through it for the first time ever. Um, Jake had an incident a while back where I asked him, I said, Hey, well, what do you think I should do? And he goes, I don't know. I I never had a kid. And I said, I'm in the same boat. I never had a kid either. You're my firstborn. You know, this is my first time going through this too. (laughs) And he was like, it's like, oh yeah, he's like, good point, you know. And we just we just try to talk it out. But I, I'll do that to them a lot where I I deflect, I'll put stuff off on them and say, What do you th-? they're they're a little older, 12 and or 13 and 16. I'll put stuff off on them and say, What do you think the best decision, you know, is? Cause sometimes they'll ask, are like, Hey, can I get a Coke? And they 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 know, like I I gonna always say fuck no to a Coke, like, but I just think it's I just think it's a waste of calories, you know, but That's from my, you know, being around uh, fitness for a long time and helping a lot of people lose weight and stuff like that. There's no room for Coke in in my in my world, really. Um, You can eat other stuff. I always kind of view those soft drinks as being kind of a waste. But I try to put that stuff off on them a little bit and say, hey, what would you do? What do you think? And then they'll say something back and I'll say, hey, does that sound does that sound rational? Does that make sense to you? Oh, you want to have your, how long do you think you should have your phone for, Quinn? And she'll say, uh, the whole day. (laughs) And I'll say, okay, um, that doesn't really sound reasonable to me. And I'll say, um, something I've heard over the years about addiction is that when addiction starts to impede or encroach upon other stuff that you're trying to do, like if it, if it, uh, was to intrude on you doing your homework and if it, was intrude to, if it was intruding on you taking a shower, it was intruding on some other just daily things that you're supposed to be doing and that you're, uh, these, these ways of uh, caring about yourself and caring for yourself and things like that, then it would be an addiction and it would be fairly negative. Like that wouldn't be good to have that go on every day. Um, you know. And you have to spend time with your family as well. So having some of those obligations, how long would you like to have your phone for? She might say four hours. I'll say okay, cool. Four hours it is. Sounds great. You'll get it for maybe two hours, you know, during the earlier part of the day, and maybe uh, two hours after dinner, and then we, you know, put it away. Something like that. We try to come to. We do our best with that. We're not we're not good at it, um, right. by any means, but we try to do. We try to do our best at it. The other thing I'd say is, this I think is the most important thing, is to figure out a way to figure out a way to spend time with your children i think time is love you know i I really do i think that that is a huge factor if you have multiple kids it can get complicated but i think in my house it's important for me to hang out with jake and it's important for me to hang out with quinn it's important for my wife to hang out with jake it's important for my wife to hang out with quinn those are all separate things Those are all separate dynamics. Hey, Quinn, let's go to the grocery store together. Why? Because I want to spend some time with you. But I don't want to go. I want to spend some time with you. (laughs) You know, I'll try to leave it at that. I'll try to just kind of keep saying, hey, I'd love to spend some time. I'd love to find out about your day. Want to come with me? You know what I mean? And she usually will. But and then there's also the family dynamic of having everybody together. These are all really important things that we feel like we don't have time for. Um, But if you don't have time for that, then I, you know, I I think it's going to be, you're going to have a tough go of it. So I think to really answer the question, I think you're just trying to be around as much as you can be, as much as you can, as much as you can afford. I also think that sometimes you can be around too much and you can safeguard your children too much. Sometimes they need you to not be there and sometimes they need you to not make a decision for them but you want to try to continue to teach them and you can teach them off your own stuff. You can teach them off your own, off your own like bullshit stuff that's happened to you over the years. You say, look, I didn't get an education until I was like 30. Like I thought I was a dummy. I wasn't going anywhere. All I had was some good, good quads, (laughs) you know, and you can kind of share some experiences with them and say, I'd like to see something different for you. Like, I'd like to see you, you know, get it and, and be in a better spot and be in a better position much earlier in your life. And you can even tell, like with my kids, the stuff they say to me and the stuff they do, I'm like, holy shit, man, they're, they're way the hell ahead of anything that I was (laughs) doing. Oh my God, damn. So, you know, I think, you know, just try to lead by example, try to be there as much as you can. Um, And, but you're trying, you're trying to build a person that is going to be able to make the correct decision. So you have to have some faith and trust in them and you have to let them mess up. You have to let them, you know, you might, your kid might, like I've been teaching my kids about nutrition since they were really young and neither one of them has a weight problem, but for themselves, they might have to explore that a little bit. One of them might have to get fat, you know, one of them might have to like, they're going to have to learn like, oh, I really love these foods. It's like, okay, well, if you really love those foods, there might be consequences to those foods. They might have to learn some of that on their own.
0: And so much wisdom in that because you're teaching them rational thinking, right? You're at least teaching them to stop and think and go, hmm, what's going on rather than just being mindless all the time. And as we've discussed, like the, the key to ch- changing anything is you first have to become mindful. You first have to become aware. So that, that ability to, to get them to just think, like even if they choose the wrong thing in that moment, at least wrong by our judgment, um, it's okay. As long as we we get them to stop and think and go, is this a good idea? Whatever you decide, go ahead. Right. There's um, yeah. being a parent is definitely challenging, man. Cause I know kids inherently want to stop when something gets hard. They want to choose the easy path. They want to choose the good tasting foods. And I do lean in on them sometimes to do things that they don't want to do. Right. I've, I've actually made them both commit to jujitsu, even though they kind of didn't want to, uh, and now they're loving it. Right. And sometimes getting over that initial hump of the challenge uh, is necessary for you to actually embrace and enjoy something. Nobody likes things they suck at, and you suck at everything when you start. And you know, so getting them to get over that hump, I think, is a is a powerful lesson to learn in life, because now they feel empowered to go. You know, I kind of like this thing that I thought was going to be really hard and really crappy. Um, so, man, uh, so many parenting lessons in life. One thing I do teach my kids that I'll share that's relevant is, um, you know, maybe for Jake as well. You and I both uh, attached to never having learned before the age of thirty. And, uh, you know, what I say to them is like, you don't have to learn everything. Like, but imagine, so my son now is in third grade. My daughter's in second grade. And I was like, Hey, imagine tomorrow we woke up and all of a sudden you're in eighth grade. You have the knowledge of a kid in third grade and you're in eighth grade. Like, how would that work for you? And he goes, oh, I'd be really hard. I don't know what to do. I go, yeah. So we don't want you to, to not learn anything over the next five years. We want to just slowly take bite-sized chunks and learn just little bits every day. So like, what if we took all this knowledge you got to learn in five years? And we just did a tiny bit every day. It's like climbing a mountain. If you took one step up a mountain every day, it's not going to be that hard. Whereas if you wake up one day and all of a sudden you're in eighth grade, and you haven't learned anything over the last five years. Now you got to sprint. Now that's going to suck, right? <laughs> or, or are you going to be left behind? You're going to feel like an idiot. So that, I've, I've used that metaphor and it seems to kind of click with them. <laughs> maybe. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And along those same lines, my son has been working out every morning with my wife. Um, you know, during the quarantine and stuff and just kind of what's going on right now, like we go out a lot less, uh, than we used to, we still get outside quite a bit and, and go for walks and stuff like that. But, um, my wife was like, I'm just going to see if I can encourage him to work out in our garage. Cause he used to come to the, used to come to super training and work out with me a little bit. Uh, he did that for a few weeks and he did enjoy some of it, but then he just, I don't think he really enjoyed like, uh the attention and some of that stuff. And so my wife was like, I'm going to see if I can get him to, you know, lift with me in the garage. And so um, my wife, you know, told him a while back, she's like, Hey, she's like, I'm going to work out in the gym. I'm going to come coming back from swim practice. She's like, I'm probably going to work out for like 10 minutes, you know? So I just want you to join me. And she didn't really make it a choice. You know, she's like, I just want you to do it for the week with me. And he was like, okay, (laughs) you know, but he did it. And he's been doing it now for the last about three or four weeks and he's starting to enjoy it. And my wife's like, Oh, he's starting to like use more weight. And he's like put a little bit more into it. And I went in there and worked out with him one day and saw the form and technique on a couple things and saw like, there's not like this real, like, you know, push or drive there yet, but it just bit my tongue, you know, just let, just let him be like, he's going to be fine. He's going to he'll figure these things out. And if he wants to ask a question, He's, he's going to ask a question. He was doing the exercise well enough where he wasn't going to hurt himself. Right. but He also wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't putting that extra effort in that you would like to that you would like to see. But um, the whole point is, is that if you introduce things kind of in small doses, it's going to be a lot easier. So those people that are listening that have a hard time getting their children to do something or I mean, that all first of all, that all falls on you. You know, you don't have to feel bad about it, you don't have to feel like a shitty parent about it or anything like that. But you can decide, you can make decisions. You can say, hey, look, you know, we put our phones away at 7 p.m. every night, or whatever, whatever the make some rules. Do your best to follow them yourself because your kid's gonna say, Oh, well, you have your phone. They're gonna turn that back around on you a lot of times, and you're gonna say, Yeah, but mine's for work. Right. That is not a good card That's to pull. I don't I don't agree with that kind of talk at all. I think I actually think it's very demeaning. And, and I, I just, I disagree with a hundred percent. I don't think it's a good route to go because you're saying what you do is more important than, the, than what they're doing. Right. They could be texting their friend or they could be, uh, setting up, you know, hanging out with a friend later in the week or something. It doesn't always mean that they're just playing video games or, or whatever, but even playing video games, how is that different than us looking on Facebook or us, uh, you know, doing or most of the stuff we're doing most of the time is kind of a waste of time anyway. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. Titrate that stuff in, you know, just little small dosages and, and you'll be able to get them to hit up a walk with you. Hey, let's go for a walk. Let's bring the dog outside or just you figure out a way to get people moving.
0: And so one of the simple frameworks I created for my family is every day when they go to bed, I'll ask them, did you do something for your body, something for your mind and something for your soul? And so if we didn't, it's like maybe it's just like reading one chapter of a book, and maybe it's 10 push-ups, and maybe it's like doing some gratitude, or usually they'll say, yeah, I've done something for my soul, like I've played video games, and that, that can be something that you feel makes you feel good and you, you're connecting with somebody. But if we didn't do something from our body, hey, let's either go for a walk, or let's do those 10 push-ups. So all I'm doing is making them aware of the necessity of doing something for your body, mind, and your soul every day, no matter how incrementally small. And that seems to be relatively powerful. And usually they're very active to begin with. But if there's a day that went by where they didn't, I'm just what, effectively what I'm doing is I'm uh, inculcating my values into them, whether it's right or wrong. You know, I think it's important we all take care of our body, our mind and our soul and uh, just prioritizing that in our life. And so hopefully it's
1: uh, something that works out. I like that. That's awesome.
0: Mark. You're an absolute legend, man. I really am grateful for your time and your friendship. And I hope I can get my butt out there to see you guys soon. You got to get down here to Tampa and uh, let's train, man. I think we could have some fun. And I know you're building the super training gym out in Sacramento. And as an amazing gym. And I didn't know it was free, man, which is an incredible offer. Is that just for everybody or what's the prerequisite?
1: It's free for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You just, uh, you just have to want to work hard. That's all. That's pretty cool, man. That's pretty yeah, incredible are, uh, of you. People can hit us up on Instagram. Um, it's uh, the super training gym on Instagram and uh, we're open now ish. So I think it would be okay for people to hit us up on IG if they wanted to come in. Usually what we try to do is just on the weekend, we allow people to come in for free from like 10 to one. And then what, what, what will happen from there is if you are, you, you come in often and you're way into it, uh, then we'll allow you to, to come in more often than that. But yeah, so Saturday, Sunday, like 10 to one, but please, you know, hit us up, make sure you kind of like make an appointment rather than just uh, showing sure. up. You have to get turned away.
0: Man, that's absolutely incredible. And uh, man, I love what you're doing. You're, you're a great human, you're a great leader and the world needs more people like you, man. So thank you for all that you do. And I look forward to continue to help you grow and uh, growing together. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Thanks Mark. All right. That's a wrap ladies and gents. Did you know I have a Pez hit? How many people on the planet have a pest head? Look at it. It's kind of cool. It's got like a strong jaw. Look at the ears. It's even got my ears. It's got that funky thing on the ears. I hope you enjoy my chat with Mark Bell. You guys know I love uh, conversing with Mark and uh, someone that I enjoy spending time with. As I said recently, I've been very blessed to have incredible conversations with really, really brilliant people, all of which either have been a podcast guest or will soon be a podcast guest. Because when I talk to smart people, I'm like, you know what? I feel so incredibly blessed to uh, allow these people to influence my mind to think at a higher level. And that's what I'm trying to do with you and uh, all the listeners ultimately. And, and so if I get exposed to someone who ultimately has an incredible perspective on in life or a cr- a cr- incredible wisdom, I'm going to bring them on to share it with you. So thank you to Mark for joining me. And I'll give you a little foreshadowing. The podcasts coming up are really, really good. We have some really, really good podcasts coming up um, in the coming weeks. All just brilliant experts that I've sat down with. Um, to really explore life and explore virtue and explore how we can use exercise or how we can dive into life to develop our most virtuous self, our uh, maybe highest version of ourselves. Um, you know, and there's a couple terms that I'll kind of be introducing over the coming weeks that hopefully you guys resonate with. Uh, once again, shout out to our sponsor for the show, Get Health, Dr. Benjamin Beckman's incredible company, hooking you guys up with 10% off. Head over to Get Health GET hlth.com com. Use the code muscle 10, get hooked up and don't forget to come back for the next podcast. Cause you're going to love it. As my little Ben Pez head shouts at you, um, head over to iTunes to subscribe. So you don't miss it. Cause we're coming back now stronger than ever. We're going to double down and make this podcast the best in the world.